Isn't it great that school's back in session? Because it means choirs are back. By the way, Jordan, good to see you walking smoothly there. Very well. She's had a cast lately, so that's good news. You all did brilliantly. Thank you for being here with us. If you hadn't sung such a pretty song, we might have clapped our hands, but it would have been wrong to clap after that. It was too beautiful. So thank you guys. They sound really good for so early in the year, don't they? Makes me look forward to Christmas when they'll be back to sing us songs again and then later in the year in May when they come each year. Such a blessing to us. Thank you, Mr. Becker and everyone there. Good job. So I kind of had to, on the second song there, Gable singing along there from the front row, did a nice job, kind of missing being in there. This is the first time that a cantable at church ever snuck up on me because Gable's been in it for three of the last years and uh, didn't realize till this morning that we were going to be blessed this way, so very nice. Uh, One quick thing I want to mention, just going to see if Bernie was going to make it back in here. I guess he's still at the table. Uh, We've got uh, Pack the Forest coming up again this year. And uh, there's probably an announcement that has the date on it, but I didn't pay attention to the date. But it's coming up a little ways. But we've got to, again, raise the money we need uh, to buy the meals. If you remember this from the last few years, uh, we uh, contributed something like, this year it's around $15,000, and it will give us the the raw supplies for... 60,000. All right, Evan was paying attention. Good job. 60,000 meals that uh, will go to help people even right here in our very area. So uh, this has been a good project for us. Bernie's led it out the last few years. Uh, We need to start the fundraising part of it. And uh, Pastor Mark pointed out very well at first service, there's usually around 1,000 people that are at church here each Sabbath. If if we all just chipped in $15, I guess we're done. And that's uh, probably a lot of us spend that much on one meal. Uh, going out for lunch or something. So, so think about that in the days ahead. You can find out more information about it at the table out there where uh, Pastor Bernie and others are in the lobby. And uh, also, if you want to be a part of actually engaging in the day, you got to go on the website to do that, to register. And you got to do that fairly soon because actually even though 300, 400 people are involved, it fills up quickly. So if you want to be a part of that, uh, go on there and get registered. So, all right. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you. We've been richly blessed today in so many ways. Lord, now that you have opened our hearts, now speak to us. Speak to us a word from your word that we might be transformed. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to give you just a little orientation on where we are in our series. We've been in this series, The End is Certain, uh, for this is our sixth week of this series, and we'll continue with this series right up till around Thanksgiving time. We're focusing in the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel is a very interesting book in the Bible because it has both chapters that are stories and then other chapters that are pretty heavy prophecies. And uh, we've gone back and forth so far as they have occurred. Today we're on chapter 4, which is again another story, but just to give you an idea of what's coming up, next Sabbath we're actually going to skip over chapters 5 and 6 and spend the next two weeks on chapter 7. 
The reason for that is this. Uh, chapter 5 tells the story of when Babylon falls. And then chapter 6 is the story of Daniel in the lion's den. That actually takes place during the time of the Medes and the Persians. But the prophecy in chapter 7 actually takes place during the time of the Babylonian Empire. So just to kind of keep us in a pseudo-chronological way here, we're going to skip over the next two stories, spend a couple weeks wrestling with Daniel 7, and then we'll come back and we'll pick up the stories along the way, which will bring us to the prophecies in Daniel chapter 8 on October 24, a date for chapter 8 that I hope you will not find to be too great a disappointment. Think about that one. There's a little joke there. October 20-something. Yeah, all right. All right. To the story. Daniel chapter 4, verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar, to the nations and peoples of every language who live in all the earth, may you prosper greatly. There's something very strange about this chapter, something in the way it presents itself that we really ought to notice as quite unusual. Do you know what it is? In verse 2, it is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. Have you caught on to what is strange here yet? Let me add one more verse. Maybe it'll become clear here. Verse 4. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. All right. According to the text, who is either dictating or writing this chapter of the Bible? King Nebuchadnezzar. How do you feel about that? How do you feel about a chapter of the Bible being written by a pagan king? You know, we make some general assumptions about the Bible, don't we? We're, we're reasonably content in the notion that, that the whole Bible was written by Hebrew or Jewish authors who were carefully screened, except for Luke and Acts, but that was Luke and he was with Paul and we're pretty sure Paul made that okay. Right? We like to think that the Bible's okay because the people who wrote it are okay. Is that the right approach? Are you okay with Nebuchadnezzar adding a chapter? You see, we like to think that sometimes we can tell by position or by association which voices we need to heed and which voices we can safely ignore. And in truth, this whole who we need to heed or ignore is actually simple enough. We only need to heed the voices through whom the Most High God is speaking. Right? The problem is, how do we know which ones those are? This comes back to something we've talked about before, how important to the life of faith is the gift of discernment. Learning to recognize the voice of God even when he speaks through unorthodox means. 
You see, with this whole chapter, it's not even as simple as saying, well, by the time Nebuchadnezzar wrote this, he had become a proper monotheist serving only the God of Israel. Unfortunately, his own words will betray that at the time he wrote this, he still had some sketchy theology going. Verse 5, I had a dream that made me afraid. As I was lying in bed, the images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. So I commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be brought before me to interpret the dream for me. When the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners came, I told them the dream, but they could not interpret it for me. Finally, Daniel came into my presence, and I told him the dream. He is called, now notice this, he is called Belteshazzar, after the name of my God, and the spirit of the holy gods is in him. Do you see it? Nebuchadnezzar is still a polytheist. And while he says most high God, he isn't calling God the only God. He's just calling him the most important God. And in fact, he's still saying my God's name is Bel, and Belteshazzar is named after him. So whose God is the most high God? Well, you get a clue of this from the previous chapter, Daniel 3, verse 28. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of who? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. You see how Nebuchadnezzar's mind works? There's different gods and different people belong to different gods. At this point, he's still referring to God as the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And go to chapter 2, you see the same thing. Verse 46, after Daniel has told him the vision, then King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel and paid him honor and ordered, and ordered that an offering and incense be presented to him. The king said to Daniel, surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery. So if we put this together, what we have is Nebuchadnezzar believes that the most high God is the God of Daniel and his friends. Yet despite not yet seeing this most high God as the only God, Nebuchadnezzar is still nevertheless willing to put the God of Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over all the other gods. And if you really think about it, isn't that what the term most high God actually means? Maybe we're not as comfortable with that term as we thought we were. The most high God over what? Oh, all the other gods. Hmm. The point is this. Don't automatically assume that because someone has marginal theology that God cannot speak to them or through them. And if God has ordained praise from the mouth of a polytheistic king of Babylon, well then I guess we're just going to have to let him do that, aren't we? He is, after all, the Most High God. 
Do you remember these words? Have you heard these before from the book of Job? It's, it's after all of the back and forth goes on and God himself finally speaks. It's Job chapter 38, verse 1. Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. He said, who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimension? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? Or what were its footings, on what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? The title today is The Most High God. The point is that God is sovereign over all even when we don't understand. Just because we don't understand what God is doing doesn't mean he has to stop. Sometimes God explains his actions. Sometimes he doesn't. Regardless, we are not in charge of God. God is in charge of us. And it is no small thing to provoke the Most High God, as Nebuchadnezzar was about to discover. Verse 8, I said, I said Belteshazzar, chief of the, of the magicians. Okay, don't love Daniel being called Belteshazzar and chief of the magicians. Wow, maybe chief of the musicians we could stand. That's a good title. But chief of the magicians, oh well. I said, Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you, and no mystery is too difficult for you. Here is my dream. Interpret it for me. These are the visions I saw while lying in bed. I looked, and there before me stood a tree in the middle of the land. Its height was enormous. The tree grew large and strong, and its top touched the sky. It was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful, its fruit abundant, and on it was food for all. Under it, the wild animals found shelter, and the birds lived in its branches. From it, every creature was fed. In the visions I saw while lying in my bed, I looked, and there before me was a holy one, a messenger, coming down from heaven. He called in a loud voice, cut down the tree and trim off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from under it and the birds from its branches. But let the stump and its roots, bound with iron and bronze, remain in the ground in the grass of the field. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven and let him live with the animals among the plants of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man and let him be given the mind of an animal till seven times pass by for him. Now catch particularly this next verse. What is the point of this dream and of the events that will follow? It's in the next verse. Here it is. Verse 17. The decision is announced by messengers. The holy ones declare the verdict. Why? So that the living may know that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets over them the lowliest of people. We need to be at peace with the Most High God, don't we? 
Have you made your peace with the Most High and Sovereign God? I would like to recommend that you do so. For bad things can come upon you when you remain at odds with the Most High God. Just ask Nebuchadnezzar, verse 18. This is the dream that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now, Belteshazzar, tell me what it means, for none of the wise men in my kingdom can interpret it for me. But you can, because the Spirit of the Holy Gods is in you. Now it is at this point that the biblical narrative takes an interesting turn from being written in a first person from Nebuchadnezzar's perspective to more of a third person omniscient narrator. The, the narrative will go back to this original form in verse 34, but we're going to take a little break from that and shift the tone. So here we go, verse 19. Then Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, was greatly perplexed for a time and his thoughts terrified him. So the king said, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its meaning alarm you. Belteshazzar answered, My lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries. The tree you saw, which grew large and strong with its top reaching the sky, visible to the whole earth, with beautiful leaves and abundant fruit, providing food for all, giving shelter to the wild animals, and having nesting places in its branches for the birds. Your majesty, you are that tree. You have become great and strong. Your greatness has grown until it reaches the sky, and your dominion extends to distant parts of the earth. Your majesty saw a holy one, a messenger coming down from heaven and saying, cut down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump bound with iron and bronze in the grass of the field while its roots remain in the ground. Let him be drenched with dew of heaven. Let him live with the wild animals until seven times pass by for him. This is the interpretation, your majesty. And this is the decree the Most High has issued against my Lord the King. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. So now let's pause just a moment and reflect. I know that in our heads we know that God is sovereign in this way. But is this a truth that reaches our hearts? Do we live as though we believe our God is God most high and that he is sovereign over the kingdoms of the earth and sovereign over our lives? It's not really how we Americans like to view the world, is it? You know, the whole death to tyrants thing. We're individualistic. We like free will, almost to the point sometimes where it seems we take the opinion, you know, God is lucky to have me as a believer. With the unstated but implied threat, and he'd better keep doing things the way I want them done or I'm out of here. And when we prosper, do we ever think, besides, 
Everything I have, I worked hard for, and I deserve it. I hope this isn't your perspective. If it is, consider today a warning shot across your bow. And consider this next part as your call to repentance. Verse 26, the command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. Therefore, your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be then that then your prosperity will continue. Is that clear enough or do I need to explain this point a little further? Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. If God has blessed you and you today are prospering, this word is particularly to you. Some of you have prospered enough that $15,000 to cover the pack, the forest, is a check you ought to write right now in order to help the oppressed. It shouldn't be that we try to come up with ways to convince you to be involved in helping others less prosperous. In fact, the way it should be is those who God has blessed and who have prospered greatly should be continually coming to us saying, here's what I want to do for the oppressed. Let's go on with the story. Verse 28. All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, Is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? Can you say oops? Verse 31. Even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. It's all very strange, isn't it? I mean, surely Nebuchadnezzar wasn't the first and hasn't been the last arrogant ruler, right? Yet history suggests this never happened to most of the others. Why does this happen to Nebuchadnezzar? I've mentioned it before, how God seems to have a strange affection for this pagan king who destroyed Jerusalem and burned down the Temple of Solomon. Go figure, right? Is this how God treats his favorites? Well, as a matter of fact, yes it is. Hebrews 12, verse 5. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? 
It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. So, take heart, Nebuchadnezzar. The Most High God considers you a son, even though you haven't even yet referred to him as your God. Verse 11, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Is it true? Back to the story, verse 33. Immediately what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people and ate grass like the ox. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. Now at this point in the narrative comes a switch in the tone again, away from the omniscient narrator back to first person Nebuchadnezzar. Verse 34, at the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High and I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? So, do you think the discipline in the life of Nebuchadnezzar seemed painful at the time. Well, how would you like to spend seven years in a totally unstable mental state? That doesn't sound good to me. Did it produce in him a harvest of righteousness and peace? Well, you be the judge. We don't have anything more about Nebuchadnezzar in the Bible except this brief epilogue to this story, verse 36. At the same time that my sanity was restored, my honor and splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the King of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just and those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Sounds to me like Nebuchadnezzar finally got the point. And sounds to me like he finally began to see the most high God as not just the God of Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, but as the God of Nebuchadnezzar as well. Is he our God? 
Is the Most High God our God, or is he merely the God we know all about? Do we just know about him, or do we worship him? Do we keep his commandments and his directives? Thinking about last week in chapter 3, is he the one we would rather die for than betray? In the end, Nebuchadnezzar didn't just become a believer in the Most High God, but in fact, he became an evangelist of the Most High God with a voice that still speaks to us today. Listen to this, Daniel 4, verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar, to the nations and peoples of every language who live in all the earth, this is for you from King Nebuchadnezzar. May you prosper greatly. It is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. How great are his signs and how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. You want to know how to do evangelism? You want to know how to be an evangelist? Well, here it is. Just be pleased to tell people what God has done for you. That's all it takes. To tell them how great are his signs and how mighty his wonders and how his kingdom is an eternal kingdom and his dominion endures to all generations. That's all it takes. Nebuchadnezzar met the Most High God and he became God's servant and evangelist. So I have to ask you, have you met Nebuchadnezzar's most high God? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come before you in various states. Some of us may in fact come with prideful hearts today. In essence saying, is not this Babylon which I have built with my own hands? not realizing that it is by your grace and your mercy and your love that we are enabled to prosper and move and breathe. So Lord, we pray that we would humble ourselves so that you would not have to humble us. That we would receive your spirit in our hearts to replace any other spirit in there and that we would embrace your love for us revealed in Jesus Christ. May we truly learn to worship the Most High God. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.